You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two people are dead and another injured in what investigators are calling a targeted gang-related shooting last evening in Coquitlam. And that one comes after another crime spree on Tuesday. I hit can't say yet if the two events are connected, but it has left the community on edge. Kamal Kuramali reports. A quiet Coquitlam neighborhood shaken when shots rang out near a playground at Dawes Hill Road and Monday Street just before 8 p.m. Wednesday. And I probably heard about like six like loud shots. Leaving two men dead and another injured. I saw a car, black car came right there. Zlata was making dinner when she says she saw two men pulling up in a vehicle behind her home while another man walked up to them across the playground. They just were two guys on the front stop car talking inside something. They were they came together, and third guy came from across the, that field. You know when they and they were in the car. About ten minutes later, I heard three. Boom, boom, boom. Police say multiple shots were fired at this white vehicle, shattering the window. One of the men succumbed on scene. The other taken to hospital where he later died. Police have released the identity of one of the dead men. He is 25-year-old Raman Salam from Coquitlam, the shooting now believed to be targeted. We believe that he is associated to the Lower Mainland gang conflict, that he has associates that have been identified through police checks to be associated to that. While investigators still working to identify the other person killed. I don't want to speak to that person's background and that we don't have a 100% confirmation of their background. A third man remains in hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. In this video, you can see an officer talking to a suspect, saying the truck involved in the shooting matches the description of his truck. We have intel that the truck involved matches your truck. Before they move in for an arrest. That pickup truck still on scene the following morning. Police now on the hunt for more information. I feel scared. I'm locking the doors. Like today, it's nice day. My windows are closed and everything. While residents eagerly wait for any updates. Kamel Karamali, Global News. Three people are now in custody in connection with an incident that shut down the Coquihalla for several hours yesterday. RCMP say several units, including members of the gang enforcement team, attempted to pull over a stolen pickup near the Coquihalla summit over the noon hour, but it sped away and got stuck on a side road. A woman was arrested a short time later. Two men fled on foot and were taken into custody about six hours later with help from an emergency response team. The Dodge Ram had been stolen from Coquitlam, but RCMP say the suspects do not appear to be connected to any recent high-profile incidents in Metro Vancouver or Merritt. And also a big thank you to uh, commercial truckers who were using their LAD channels to relay information to all of our investigators on where the stolen vehicle was, um, descriptions of the suspects that, uh, that was instrumental in us getting these people. RCMP say the highway was closed because there were reports of at least one of the suspects having a gun. Three people are believed to have been killed in a plane crash off of northern Vancouver Island. RCMP say a Cessna float plane was flying two workers from a logging camp back to Port Hardy Wednesday afternoon when it crashed into Strachan Bay, just north of Port Hardy on the central coast. A Coast Guard helicopter and boats scoured the area, but there were no signs of survivors. 
An RCMP dive team is being brought in to search for the plane, the pilot and the two passengers. The Transportation Safety Board is working to determine what caused the crash. A coroner's inquest will be held in January into the death of a young RCMP officer who took her own life after being involved in intimate relationships with senior officers. Ramina Dayer reports. If I just lay would you lie with me? It was Constable Nicole Chan's dream to serve and protect. The young officer spent nine proud years with Vancouver police before she took her life in 2019. Many of the facts surrounding Constable Chan's death have never been revealed. But in January, almost four years after the officer's death, a public inquest will dig into the truth. The officer's sister, Jen Chan, spoke to us soon after her sister died. She was just such a proud officer. She was proud of her work and she was proud of being able to basically speak out for the victims. Earlier this year, the Chan family launched a civil suit against multiple parties, including the VPD, alleging Chan was sexually assaulted and sexually harassed and that her workplace essentially had insufficient policies to protect her. Two former senior VPD officers, Sergeants Greg McCullough and David Van Patten, were named in the suit. The case against McCullough has since been discontinued. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Jen previously told us her sister was struggling with anxiety and depression when she came forward and made a complaint to the chief in 2017 about inappropriate relationships concerning Van Patten and McCullough. Van Patten was dismissed. McCullough was suspended and later resigned. I believe that she felt pressured into it and she was not in a good mental state to um, basically tell them no. She felt like she couldn't say no to them. The VPD refused to do an on-camera interview now that the matter will proceed in coroner's court, which is not a criminal proceeding. The goal to prevent a similar death from happening in the future. At this stage, we don't know if the officers will be subpoenaed to testify. Romina Dea, Global News. A 77-year-old man has been charged nearly six months after allegedly driving into several people marching to raise awareness about residential schools. See that, that truck did something over there. On June 4th, the driver of this blue pickup truck is alleged to have driven into the crowd on Lougheed Highway in Mission, striking four people and sending at least two to hospital with minor injuries. Police say the 77-year-old man at the wheel came forward after the incident. Richard Manuel has been charged with one count of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. Troy and Graldi, who was one of the people hit, says the investigation took too long and didn't end as it should have. Uh, it's really disappointing. I think there should have been more charges. Um, dangerous operation of a motor vehicle is not enough. He literally ran me and four other people over and should have been charged with hit and run. He got the lesser charge of uh, uh, driving dangerously. He got the lesser charge. Um, it should have been causing bodily harm. He says the incident left him with a concussion and injuries to his hip and hand. Manuel will appear in Abbotsford Provincial Court on January 9th. 
Well, the province is expected to release its financial forecast for the fiscal year tomorrow, but Premier David Eby has already done a lot of spending since being sworn in just last week. His funding announcements come in at more than $1 billion. And as Richard Zussman reports, critics question whether spending means results. We can provide support to British Columbians who need it. David Eby has been spending. We're standing up new coordinated response teams. And spending. British Columbia is committing to sustained core funding for the RCMP. And spending some more. Over the past six days, the new BC Premier has been working at a feverish pace. And eventually, the bills will come due. We've been um, you know, very thoughtful about our decision-making as a government um, over these last five years, and it keeps us in a, in a good fiscal position. The province has committed $400 million for the BC Hydro credit coming out of hydro profits, $500 million for an affordability credit out of provincial coffers, $76.5 million for public safety measures, plus $230 million over three years to enhance RCMP staffing for a total of $1.2 billion. You'll see, based on you know, all the investments that we've been making over the last number of years, making sure that British Columbians um, have the ability to take care of themselves. This government's not done. There was no dollar figure attached to new housing legislation, and building new homes will come with a cost. Oh, I just think that there's no connection between spending more money and getting better outcomes. The B.C. Liberals making the argument the spending train has been running off the tracks long before E.B. took office, and the government has little to show with what has already been spent. But the problem is, by every measurement, in crime, it's the worst we've ever seen. Healthcare, the worst we've ever seen. On Friday, the province will unveil second quarter financial numbers. The expectation is it will show B.C.'s economy has recovered faster than expected after COVID shocks impacted the books leading to the thought, now may be the perfect time to spend. There is the, that offsetting risk that if situations, uh, situation worsens in the near future, that we will have now committed that extra spending that we'll be looking for down the road. But with many thorny issues still poking out, voters will be waiting to see if spending turns into results. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And Premier Eby confirms an independent audit is underway into B.C. housing. According to a leaked report from 2018, it showed financial mismanagement at Atira Women's Resource Society. And B.C. housing provided millions of dollars in funding to bail out that organization. B.C. Liberal leader Kevin Falcon called for the audit of both organizations earlier this week. Eby confirmed yesterday in question period Ernst & Young raised concerns after its report released this summer and has since been working on a forensic engagement of BC Housing since then. In early July 2022, um, we uh, uh, took uh, the recommendations of Ernst & Young around the terms of reference for a forensic audit of BC Housing. Uh, and we asked the Office of the Controller General to take over responsibility for that audit. The Comptroller General agreed to do so and retained Ernst & Young to do that work. Now this forensic audit is still in progress. The results of the forensic audit by Ernst & Young are expected to be ready next year. Well, we've been talking a lot lately about the growing pressure and delays at BC hospitals. Keith Baldry joins us with more on that. Keith, you have some fresh data that shows, at least in part, why things are spiking right now. 
Yeah, two key areas of concern. There's a huge number of people off sick in the healthcare system. Uh, we've seen numbers like this back in Omicron days, but not uh, like this in terms of the thousands of people being off work in any given week. And also, a lot of young kids don't have the flu vaccine and they're showing up at hospitals. So here's the breakdown of who's off in the healthcare system for the week of November 14th to 20th. And you can see the huge increase from September. Uh, more than 4,400 employees in Fraser Health are off sick. More than th almost 3,400 in Vancouver Island. More than 3,000 in the interior and Van Vancouver Coastal. And you see the column on the right. That's the increase on a weekly basis from September. What does it add up to? We're talking 18,000 people plus off sick around the province in this particular week uh, in September, November 14th and 20th. That's an increase of almost 5,000 people. That's staggering. That's an increase of 35%. So that's the people off sick. What about the flu vaccine? Again, very low numbers for young people. You take a look at the youngest age group, six months to four years and six to five to 11. We're talking 82,000 kids, just barely more than 82,000 kids get the flu vaccine, 16% of them. The numbers only get big when you got to talk about people aged 65 and over. So kids are now showing up at hospital in record numbers uh, without being vaccinated for the flu and presenting respiratory illness of symptoms. Health Minister Andrew Dix today said a lot of this was predicted. We knew we were going to have a rough season, which again underscores the need for people to get vaccinated against the flu and COVID, particularly young people. We knew this was going to be a hard season, and it is. And if I can make uh, a request to everybody, this is the time, especially for children, but all, for everyone, to get vaccinated against COVID-19 and vaccinated against influenza. It's free, it's available, it's preventative, and we need people to do it because that's the way all of us have the power to assist all those people working in emergency rooms. And more health stats released today show about 25% of all the interactions between of kids under the age of 12 and our healthcare system, whether it's visits to the doctor or a clinic or a hospital, uh, have to do with acute respiratory ailments. And again, these are the influenza and pneumonia. So 25%, one in four kids right now, are going to hospital and clinics and, and doctor offices because they've got the flu or they've got respiratory illnesses, and many of them just haven't got the flu vaccine. Well, it's been a long time since I was a kid, but I'm getting my flu shot on Saturday. <laughs> Thanks, Good for Keith. You. Got mine today. All right, a known car thief with a long rap sheet gets tackled by police, and it's the officers who get charged. If that sounds absurd, well, the judge agreed. What their acquittal means for other officers who go out and risk their lives every day. A BC music composer impressing even his harshest critic and his smallest too mm -hmm. with children's hit after hit. That's coming up on the news hour. And later in sports, the best young player in hockey, BC's Connor Bedard, comes home to a sellout crowd. Right now, though, a BC judge has ruled two Mounties were justified in their use of force to arrest a man deemed a risk to the public. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, a defense lawyer says the case is yet another example of a failed catch-and-release policy when it comes to criminals. What started out as a routine investigation into a car theft turned into a years-long ordeal for the officers involved. In October 2019, two RCMP officers arrested a wanted car thief in Richmond. The suspect, Alexander Eaton, was tracked to a residential neighborhood but fled. According to court documents, Eaton resisted and the officers were required to escalate their use of force. And uh, all of this is captured on a uh, ring camera. 
the police officers got there, Eaton wouldn't, despite guns being drawn, wouldn't get on the ground and show his hands. Instead, he tried to figure out how to flee. The officers went hands-on with him and delivered multiple blows. The charges against the suspected car thief were stayed. Instead, it was the arresting officers who faced criminal proceedings based on use of force. Both men were acquitted. Provincial Court Judge Jay Solomon writing that he found the evidence of both accused to be credible, reliable, and consistent with the security camera recording that captured the whole event. Judge Solomon goes on to say that even as a Monday morning quarterback sitting in the calmness of a courtroom, I am not satisfied there was any better course of action than the one employed by the arresting officers. Despite the trial being about the use of force, the judge notes that the injuries suffered by the alleged victims amounted to two abrasions, one over his right eye, one on the left side of his forehead. Well, I think this decision is quite important for uh, a couple of reasons. One, it confirms that police officers have a dangerous job. Two, police officers are entitled to act aggressively when arresting a fleeing suspect who does not obey lawful police commands. The suspected car thief was released and continued to have multiple run-ins with police and the courts, including one encounter in West Vancouver two months later. The judge noting in his decision that while this trial was proceeding, three police officers across the country died in the line of duty. A reminder of the risks faced keeping the peace. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Homicide investigators say the 17-year-old suspect in Tuesday's stabbing at a Surrey high school has been released from custody. 18-year-old Mehik Sethi was stabbed in the parking lot of Tamanawa Secondary around noon Tuesday. The 17-year-old suspect, who was a student at the school, was arrested a short time later. That teen has not yet been charged, but IHID says it's still early in the investigation and charges might still be laid. IHID is also speaking out about unconfirmed details of the stabbing, including a possible motive that are being shared on social media. There is a lot of information that's being shared through social media and different websites right now. Uh, I warn you to take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of stuff that's out there that's, uh, that's certainly not true or speculation. Uh, I don't want to speak to anything specific that I've read particularly, but uh, unfortunately I have seen a lot of information out there that is not being sourced, it's not being, um, it's not factual. IHIT is still hoping to speak to some of the students who were there at the time of the stabbing and anyone else who might have relevant information. Coming up, a hit and run call leads RCMP to a disturbing discovery. This incident is troubling on a lot of levels. What officers found in this Nanaimo parking lot that raised a lot of red flags. And why mailing that gift is going to cost a little more this holiday season. Good evening. Traffic is in good shape over here both ways at the Alex Fraser Bridge with some leftover volume as usual eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Contact Integra Tire today for great deals on GT radial tires like the Adventuro AT3, perfect for light truck and SUV owners. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Ridge. Just as the holiday counterattack program is ramping up, a shocking suspected drunk driving incident in Nanaimo to tell you about. A number of people were put at risk, including a young child. Catherine Urquhart has the details. 
It was a troubling scene outside Nanaimo's North Town Centre Mall last week. A child was in a pickup, engine running, their mother passed out. Initially, first responders were unable to wake the 35-year-old woman. Members tried to rouse the, the individual, yelling, screaming, knock on the window, but no luck at all. They thought it might be a medical emergency, so they contacted the EHS and firemen to attend. We eventually got her attention and got her out of the vehicle. Police say the driver may have been involved in an earlier hit-and-run as well. She was taken to our detachment where she provided two breast samples, both recording about two and a half times the legal limit. The mother was issued a 90-day roadside prohibition and her vehicle was impounded for 24 hours. She faces charges of driving impaired and driving over the legal limit. The child is now with the father. Two, three. In North Vancouver, at the launch of Operation Red Ribbon, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers urged motorists to plan ahead. Project Red Ribbon is a national program uh, uh, undertaken by MAD Canada. Um, it goes from November 1st uh, to January 1st. And his goal is to uh, remind people uh, to enjoy the holidays, but to do so responsibly. According to ICBC, 66 people died last year due to impaired driving. Police note that impairment can involve multiple substances. There's a lot of people using prescription medication in combination with, say, alcohol and maybe being unaware of uh, the effects it can have on an individual. Important messages as holiday celebrations ramp up in the coming weeks. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. An important warning for anyone flying out of Vancouver International Airport on Friday, give yourself some extra time. Once again, it's expected Black Friday shoppers heading for the MacArthur Glen Outlet Mall will cause traffic chaos. In previous years, some travelers even missed their flights due to the delays. YVR says it is working closely with traffic management and RCMP traffic enforcement, but congestion and delays are still expected. It's recommended, or recommending rather, YVR travelers use public transit and the Canada Line. With inflation already boosting the price of gas and food, British Columbians are facing another rising cost this holiday season. Canada Post is joining major couriers and adjusting fuel surcharges weekly. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us with more on how those extra shipping charges add up. And Thanks, Sophie. The Crown Corporation's fluctuating fuel surcharges are based on the average price of diesel across Canada, measured by an independent company that monitors fuel prices in our country and applied to domestic and international parcel shipping. Since September, Canada Post says it's been modifying its fuel surcharges weekly up or down as fuel prices change. Now, with thousands of vehicles in its fleet, Canada Post says it manages the largest, most intricate transportation network in the country, and fuel surcharges have been standard practice for nearly 20 years. This week's Canada Post fuel surcharge is 39% on domestic parcels and close to 23% on U.S. and international packages. For one BC customer trying to send an item locally within the Lower Mainland, this resulted in an almost $5 fuel surcharge on a $13 shipping bill. It is shocking when we're hearing reports of people paying $5 uh, in fuel surcharge to ship, uh, to ship a parcel that should be that cheap. So unfortunately, we weren't actually able to get clear, concrete estimates of this, um, which is exactly why we need increased transparency with our Crown Corporations and our government. 
But needless to say, with 40% being added, we're going to see tens of millions of dollars in increased profit uh, for Canada Post. Now, FedEx and Purolator are also passing on high fuel costs to their customers. Purolator's domestic fuel surcharge is 33.25% through December 4th. Then it jumps to 39.75% in the weeks before Christmas to New Year's. Purolator sets its fuel surcharge monthly based on the four-week average price of diesel. A 42.5% fuel surcharge applies to FedEx, Express, and ground shipments in Canada through November 27th. FedEx adjusts its fuel surcharge rates weekly. Meantime, Canada Post says it is directly impacted by changes in fuel prices and makes every effort to ensure the surcharge reflects current fuel prices and market dynamics. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Coming up, new screen time recommendations. Why it's now less about quantity and more about quality. That's next. Also, Christian Freeland talks about the pressure she felt when the Freedom Convoy blocked borders. Tune in to Rise for BC Kids. See firsthand how BC Children's Hospital is transforming health care for children. At BC Children's Hospital, small is mighty. Rise for BC Kids, Saturday, November 26th, in partnership with Global BC. Seeing some extra delays here tonight for northbound traffic at the Massey Tunnel. Looks like police have a semi-truck pulled over northbound just before the tunnel in the left lane. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a semi in Delta. Well, it looks like we're all going to have to wait a little bit longer for the Broadway Rapid Transit line. The Transportation Ministry says a five-week strike earlier this year affected the concrete supply and delayed the start of boring the tunnel. That has bumped the project completion date from late 2025 to early 2026. The ministry says it won't have an exact timeline until the spring of next year. On the plus side, the ministry, the ministry says a second boring machine is about to be launched. It says the first one, which started in October, has made good progress toward breaking through at Mount Pleasant Station. The ministry also says so far the project is on budget. Well, it was the Deputy Prime Minister's turn to offer testimony at the public inquiry looking into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. Christian Freeland laid out the decision-making process for the government to invoke the act and the importance of Canada's trade relationship with the U.S. Kyle Benning has more. While the trucks were parked in front of Wellington Street earlier this year, there was concern inside of Parliament it could result in a halt in investment. The Deputy Prime Minister says she was in regular contact with officials south of the border who were concerned about the so-called Freedom Convoy protests. I could see, really for the first time ever, the Americans having this amber light flashing in Canada. And this amber light that said to them, you know what? The Canadian supply chain could be a vulnerability too. And it wasn't just concerns from our southern neighbours Christian Friedland was trying to quell. She says CEOs from Canada's big five banks were worried about the result of border protests on trade and investment in industries across the country. Freeland says she hoped the economic measures announced from the Emergencies Act would have compelled protesters to go home. There was no desire to be in any way punitive. There was a desire to create nonviolent incentives for people to do the right thing. 
She noted fewer than 300 bank accounts were frozen from the emergency measures. They included people who had multiple accounts. While Freeland noted there were concerns about what frozen bank accounts meant for protesters' families, she was hoping the threat of those actions would have resulted in more people leaving demonstrations. But in my mind, I weigh that against what I really believe is the tens, hundreds of thousands of Canadian jobs and families that we protected. Friday is the inquiry's final day of testimony, where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is set to offer evidence. The commissioner will then table his final reports to the House of Commons and Senate, which is expected before February 20th. Kyle Benning, Global News. In health matters tonight, some new recommendations are out regarding young children and technology on an issue that can often spark some feelings of guilt among parents. As Sarah McDonald reports, the Canadian Pediatric Society is relaxing some of its screen time guidelines. It's a modern-day parenting predicament for most people with young children. How much time do you let your child spend in front of a screen? At first, when she was really young, I was like, oh, no screen, no screen. And then you realize you need it. Hold on tight. Cynthia Domingue is far from alone, working to strike a balance on screen time with her three-year-old daughter. On Thursday, new guidelines from the Canadian Pediatric Society acknowledged what many parents already admit. We watch TV. Sometimes we need more and sometimes less. While screens for children under two are still largely discouraged, guidelines for kids between two and five have changed, with a firm one-hour time limit for sedentary screen use now relaxed to allow for interactive and educational material. While screens aren't inherently bad, the concern is they take away from crucial early childhood development opportunities, far away from any televisions or phones. Play is simple, but play is also really holistic, and it's a way for children to make sense of their world. That's early childhood educator Jess Schellenberg's area of expertise. Her local learning center and children's store, Chorus and Clouds, caters to kids up to age five, focusing specifically on play-based learning. As much as we want to rely on the screen time sometimes to just kind of have our minds be less busy, the connection that we have with our children and the time that we can, can offer our children with the screen being away is more important. Settings like this, along with screen-free areas inside the home and substituting screens for books and art, all go a long way in healthy childhood development. I think the biggest thing is, is always remember that we can always like go back to the basics. With a little screen time also now acknowledged by pediatricians as an unavoidable part of childhood. Sarah McDonald, Global News. So cute. All right, still ahead, making music for the movies. Getting ready to start the first day of string recording on My Little Pony, the movie. A BC composer writing his own ticket in Hollywood. And the buzz around Connor Bedard, North Vancouver's hockey sensation returns to BC. Another beautiful day out there today. Ever gorgeous sunrise and uh, cloud formations. We got a beautiful November day today, Christy. We sure do. I'm glad you said sunrise because I actually have a weather window showing that. If you missed it, it was glorious. Hey, I want to give you a heads up. We actually have the potential for snow this week towards the end of the weekend and in next week. So I'm going to highlight that. But keep in mind, 
This is days away, so it's a heads up, everyone. All right, so as I mentioned, yes, it was a beautiful day today. We had layers of cloud cover with some blue sky. Thank you to Janine for that in Pitt Meadows. A front is going to swing across our region, though, overnight. It will be wet and it will be windy. Uh, we'll see gusts up to about 50 kilometers an hour, so we're not expecting power outages per se. But tomorrow morning, that cloud cover and rain will linger. So it, give yourself extra time for your commute to work. It's also going to impact the interior regions with snowfall, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But first, I just wanted to see that timeline as it shifts out. It does mean breaks of blue sky for those of us across the south coast by the afternoon hours, although it will linger a little bit longer through the Fraser Valley and as sort of northeast metro Vancouver. So areas like Maple Ridge, for example. And we're also expecting windy conditions throughout the day tomorrow. So keep that in mind. This will be more of a westerly wind throughout the latter part of the day. So it will blow a lot of those leaves around. If you haven't cleaned up your leaves yet, you might want to pretty soon because uh, the wet weather and the snow is coming. All right, so these are the warnings that are in place. It includes the Rogers Pass, Kootenai Pass. We're also expecting snow over lower elevations. So Revelstoke, 10 to 15 centimeters for you. Nelson, Cranbrook will, or Nelson, Kalsagar, Cranbrook will also see that. So there's your Friday forecast, everyone. Breaks a blue sky through the central interior, but these areas, a few showers or flurries. Our risk of freezing rain through the Okanagan Valley in the morning. For our region, wet and windy overnight, lingering through the morning. Breaks the blue sky, though, for your Friday afternoon, although you may not see that through eastern sections. All right. Let's talk about that snowfall that I was mentioning. So it's by the end of the weekend that we have a chance of a few showers or flurries into our Sunday when temperatures drop. And then the temperatures are going to stay cold enough at night that when precipitation moves in on Tuesday, we have a chance of snow once again. Still days away, so keep tuning back in. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from... Uh, well, it's looking towards Mount Baker. Actually, Nikhil didn't actually let me know where it's from, but you can tell that that's Mount Baker in the sunrise. All right, back to you. Beautiful sight to wake up to. Thank you, Christy. All right, Squires here with a look ahead to sports. And yes, a future superstar is in town. I guess he's already a superstar on I the guess. junior level, yes. Yeah. But uh, North Vancouver's Connor Bedard can score goals and he can sell tickets. It's already sold out for tomorrow night's game between Bedard and the Regina Pats and the Vancouver Giants. It's my first game here, you know, just, uh, just pretty pumped to, to play in front of obviously sold out crowd and uh, just to be back home. And Bedard and the Pats will be playing all the teams from B.C. in the Western Hockey League on this road trip. Also tonight, the earworm composer, a local musician making hits for kids later. The Bedard sweepstakes. We're dreaming. Well, in order for the, the, the Bedard sweepstakes to be a dream for the Canuck fans, they have to go through a nightmare season. Just remember that. Uh, one of the things you can take away from the Canucks surprise 4-3 win over Colorado last night where Vancouver was the one that rallied in the third period is how Spencer Martin right now is a more consistent Canuck goalie and he gave Vancouver a big save in the third when they needed it. Off of Abbotsford's Devontae's watch right there. That's a good stretch. And that helped the Canucks win that game last night. Vegas on Saturday. North Vancouver's Connor Bedard is back home in B.C. He and the Regina Pats run a road trip where they will play all the B.C. teams, starting with the Vancouver Giants tomorrow night. And almost all the games are sold out to see the best NHL prospect this season. Literally, I couldn't even get a ticket for my cousin if I wanted right now. It's that sold out. Connor Bedard will play his 100th career Western Hockey League game Friday night at the Langley Event Centre against the Vancouver Giants. But it's his first ever Western League game in his home province. And everyone wants to get a look at hockey's next superstar. He leads the WHL in goals, assists, points, 
and wow factor. Bernard cuts in for the net, he scores! You wanted highlights, you got highlights! The phenom! You are a stoner surprise, but then you're not because you see it maybe in practice sometimes or you see different things happening all the time. So anything he does with the puck, yeah, like I'm sort of surprised, but then I'm not. You know, I feel like I'm getting you know better overall and, uh, you know, that 200-foot game, complete game, and, you know, I'm playing a bit of PK, you know, out, out last minute, big face-off and stuff. So uh, just kind of, you know, uh, every area has uh, gotten a little better, I think. When Bedard goes number one overall in the NHL draft next June, he will be a game-changer for the team that takes him. Pure goal scorers like Bedard are rare. That shot of his is already considered one of the best in hockey, NHL included. All those hours firing thousands of pucks on his homemade shooting setup has made him almost unstoppable. When I was young, I was always in the front yard, and uh, you know, once I got older, I couldn't, couldn't really do that anymore. But uh, you know, for me, it's it's been great. Whether it's uh, just going out there, you know, when you're bored, or uh, just to work on stuff. So I mean, I've been out there a lot, and I think it's benefited. There have been rumblings that the Kamloops Blazers, who host the Memorial Cup this year, would love to trade for Bedard to help them win the national title. They would have to give up a lot, and it's obvious this is Bedard's final year of junior. But the Pats are having none of that. No way they trade Connor Bedard, no matter what's offered in a blockbuster deal. I have no response to that. There's only been one place that that's come out of all year. It's out in BC. There's no, there's nothing to do with that. We do know Bedard will be pumped to play his first league game in his own backyard. The Giants are too, sort of. I would love to see Connor do some fantastic things, but get no goals, no assists, and, and leave here with the fans excited, but with the Giants with a win. There's no doubt about that. Sad news. Borea Solming, the defenseman who paved the way for every Swede you have ever seen in the NHL, died today at the age of 71 from ALS. He spent 17 years mostly with Toronto, became the first Swedish player to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, an incredible all-around player who was recently honoured by the Maple Leafs. Well, there he is. Cristiano Ronaldo did something today no man has ever done in World Cup history. He has scored goals in five different World Cups. And he helped Portugal beat Ghana today by the score of 3-2. to two. Brazil played Serbia, and Brazil did Brazil things. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. Richarlison, watch this goal. I'll show it to you twice. Volley it to yourself, turn, fire. That's what you expect from the men in canary yellow and blue at the World Cup. Scores today. Here they are. Uh, Brazil wins, Portugal wins, South Korea and Uruguay tie, and Switzerland gets a win over Cameroon. Canada plays, of course, Sunday. Uh, Davis Cup, they'll play Croatia. Incidentally, Davis Cup, it's Canada against Germany, and it's Vancouver's Vosik Pospisil in the doubles match with the ace. He's with Chapovalov here, and they would win this. So Canada moves on to the semifinals, and in the semis, it'll be Canada and Italy. When Chris worked in Dallas, he had a private box at that stadium. Oh, oh. It's before that one was built. Uh, Darius Slayton with the right catch here. Thanksgiving football, three games in the NFL today. That would set up a touchdown for the Giants. They did leave 13-7 at halftime, but uh, it was pretty much all Cowboys in the second half. Dalton Schultz had a couple of TDs. 
and Dallas wins it by eight over New York. Uh, Buffalo won its game against Detroit, but before the game, this little boy had a sign that says all he wants for Christmas is to play catch with Bills receiver Stephon Diggs. That's Diggs right there, taking him out of the crowd, and what's he do with him? He gives him his wish. He plays catch. Come on, kid. Let's go. Oh, my gosh. I'd be so nervous. Well, watch. He makes the catch. There you go. And he can throw. He's wearing Josh Allen's jersey. So, And Stefan Diggs makes the grab. Nice. And I guarantee you, nobody in that family will ever forget that moment. That's so cute. That's magical. All right. Thanks, Squire. And his Squire. team won, too. So it's a happy day. Exactly. That's thanks, great. Squire. A local musician winning worldwide fame for his kids' music. How we went from Led Zeppelin to My Little Pony. Next. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Sophie, a noisy protest outside a major hospital today regarding the conditions there. Solidarity! So, so, so! Most of the demonstrators were nurses who work at Nanaimo General. Their union claims the hospital is in a constant state of crisis with nurses often in tears before their shifts. At 11, the changes they're demanding. Plus, a dog found clinging to a log boom in the Fraser River during last year's flooding is still looking for a forever home. We'll tell you more about Connie and what sort of person would make the perfect owner tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. She just wants to please. All right, composer Daniel Ingram hit the big time with the children's series My Little Pony, and that was just the beginning. He has been nominated for five Emmy Awards. It's a long way from where he started with High School Battle of the Bands. And as Jada Rant learns on This Is BC, he draws his inspiration from home. Another jam-packed day for Daniel Ingram, who's taken the 10-step trip to his backyard studio. His latest project, The Treebees, has been taking off, inspired by the new songs he started playing for his son, Azo. We would have such a blast, and I thought, okay, I'll record a few of these. So I recorded a few, played it for some people, and they were like, you should record a lot more of these. This is how Ingram got his start, playing Led Zeppelin covers with his high school buddies, and it led to instant success. We competed in the... High school battle of the bands and won. So, <laughs> yeah, that made me feel like the excitement of pursuing music. Little did he know it would eventually lead to a career writing for children's animated series. Getting ready to start the first day of string recording on My Little Pony, the movie. His music for My Little Pony led to worldwide fame. The series has attracted adult fanatics known as bronies, and Ingram was suddenly very popular at fan fests. I've probably signed over 100,000 autographs at conventions for My Little Pony. He's had huge success in the industry, winning multiple awards. He's a five-time Emmy nominee who's recorded close to 600 catchy kids songs that can become unshakable earworms. 
I've took up kiteboarding to try to get it out of my head, and I'll literally be on the water hearing the song I was working on that day. His number one test audience is right at home. Azo's now three, offering good feedback on the new Trebies material. Both of us are always singing constantly, so it drives my wife crazy. Ingram's career has taken a slight turn, now tapping into the toddler market. So many new songs to record, which means little chance of getting the band back together. I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> We've all moved on. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> Sophie is going to be singing that all night. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell like that one or something else that's unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. It's just so happy. It is. And cheerful. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I have to get the soundtrack to listen to on my way home. That's right. Uh, Christy, final word on weather and, and uh, don't say anything about snow because it's days away, as you said. Well, I... <laughs> Talking about happy and cheerful, I love snow. I know a lot of you don't, but I get stoked when it's in the forecast. Yes, we do have a chance, but it, this is just a heads up at this point. Still days away, so keep tuning back in. So it would be Sunday evening when the temperature's cool. We could see a few flurries, minor amounts, but it's more so Tuesday when temperatures are low enough and the precipitation moves in that we have the possibility of snow. All right. Can't wait to see your Instagram posts of snowboarding down the slopes. It's going to be awesome. There's a winter setting for you. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all.